Modern is one of Magic's shining examples of a diverse, changing, but relatively solid metagame. As you might have heard in some of my pretty previous videos, the idea of metacrafting, namely, that Commander requires us to craft our own metas with our playgroups. In incredibly simple terms, generally that's done by folks like Wizards. But it's any rule or ban that affects the cards that you bring to the table, or the styles of cards that you play. Today, we're going to talk with an expert player in the modern metagame, who plays a style of deck that is generally regarded by some not to be top tier. Specifically, we want to hear about how the available styles of decks in modern metagame can affect how different types of decks play, especially if they're not always trying to keep up with the flavor of the month. Hi folks and welcome. Joining me today on this episode is Maddie from the Spike Feeders. Hi Maddie. Hey Alex, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. And an extra special guest, friend of the show, Nikachu. Viewers may recognize from our season one finale episode and renowned merfolk master of modern. How you doing, Nikachu? I'm doing great. Let's talk. Let's talk modern. Let's talk how it works with Commander. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So uh, just for my own knowledge, don't, don't get me wrong, I've judged quite a bit of modern, but I've never really sat down to play it. What would you say right now today are the major archetypes in modern, aside from Tron, because I feel like most people know what Tron is? <laughs> Well, I mean, the, the, the major archetypes are uh, basically super fast blitz stacks like uh, Blue-Red Blitz slash Prowess. You could consider it like that. Then you've got things like uh, big mana decks like Amulet, Titan. You also got your Tron decks, both not just Tron, but also Eldrazi Tron. So, you know, they mix in those colorless Eldrazis <laughs> with the Tron mana. And then we've got these combo decks, this pure combo decks between... Uh, Heliod Company, where they use Spike Feeder and Heliod Sun Crown, but they also use Walking Ballista to combo off as well. And in a variation of other aggro control attrition and big mana decks, there's Death Shadow decks, there's Through the Breach uh, control slash combo, Esper control, you got Burn. So you've got a, a wide array of different archetypes and different strategies in Modern. Oh, that's that's actually really detailed. So it's a lot more decks than I thought you were going to list. I'm not yeah, going to lie. <laughs> no kidding. And, and so I, I guess one of the things that has always fascinated me about modern in comparison to standards, it feels like you can pretty much play whatever feels good to you. Is do you, you think that's a fair thing to say? I mean, there's still a lot of diversity. Some people, if you don't want to put in the work in, it might get crushed by these new decks because uh, make no mistake, modern is getting more and more powerful and. There's definitely some decks that just need tools from Wizards of the Coast to compete. That being said, if you have a type of style that you want to play, there will be a deck for you somewhere in Modern. Okay, fair. And so one of the things that's always sort of fascinated me about that idea is how someone can take sort of a quote-unquote off-meta deck and do mm -hmm. so well. Because frankly, you've done very, very well for yourself with Merfolk over the years. And I don't know for sure that it's ever been necessarily top tier, but you certainly play it like it is. And so what, what oh, changes in your game to make that work? Well, you have to adapt to the meta. The meta is changing all the time. And hopefully, thanks to the gigantic card pool of modern, there are tons of tools to adapt to any particular uh, metagame that is put in front of you. I mean, Death and Taxes is actually doing pretty well right now, but in the past... 
I mean, they had way less tools than they do today. Like today, they've got Giver of Runes, Stoneforge Mystic, they've got Yorian, they've got Archon of Amiria and Skyclave Apparition. They were just given a wealth of stuff, but people were playing it even back then. It was just a much smaller percentage of the meta because you had to be an extremely good player to squeeze out those edges. So you have to compensate some card power uh, with a lot of experience and really tight play. And that's basically what I did before with Merfolk. And thanks to hopefully the card pool of the modern format, there's always just generally some answer there for you. You got to dig for it and then play test it. Sure. Mm -hmm. I guess like modern hasn't always had the extensive card pool that it has right now. So I'm curious how your deck has kind of evolved from the beginning of you playing Merfolk to now. It was a lot easier back then because it, the because the card pool was smaller. It was enough for tools, but it we didn't have that many powerful cards as we do today. I mean, a bunch of cards got ramped. The power level of the decks just got ramped up by a lot. But ge generally speaking, Merfolk was a pretty good deck. I would say in the past, it was just grossly underrated. I had a win rate of like 80% online. And, you know, generally speaking, uh, the top players, they have like a 66% win percentage at the top level. But still, like I thought, hey, 80% is doing pretty well. That's why I played the deck in the past and I stuck to it. And I mm -hmm. would try to, you know, teach my merfolk ways to people. And I think I've proven my point. There are two other people won a GP with merfolk, Przemek Notsinski in 2015. Um, then there was... Oh, the name es escapes me. But there was a victory in 2016. And then I made the finals in 2017 and very narrowly uh, uh, lost my my victory there. So I think I proved my point. Like the deck was grossly underrated, but just very difficult to play. You need to know how to play it properly. Over time, things always got tougher because they kept printing more answers directly to my deck, but not giving me any more like new resources to beat it like mm -hmm. they start printing links like Kozlex return and fatal push and then with like modern horizons one they printed plague engineer so things continuously continuously got worse uh but there was just enough game to still be competitive and i would say maybe i would say i'm like slowly like losing the thread but still staying in there. Maybe my saving grace for 2020 was that Uro was so prominent and that was a blue deck. And the more blue decks there are in the metagame, there's a, quite a bit of free wins by just, you know, I have unblockable creatures just naturally. So that helps a lot when the blue is heavy in the metagame, Merfolk helps. Uh, but uh, last six months have been pretty rough. I mean, I'm trying to adapt, but uh, the power level of modern keeps going up. So I need, I think I need some help at this point. Yeah, and sp speaking of help, we've seen a few different new Merfolk cards uh, spoiled so far for Modern Horizons 2. Are you specifically excited about either uh, Rashad and Dockhand or the uh, new God of Sea and Sky? Yes, I'm very excited about the new God of Sea and Sky because that creature by itself can survive a lot of removal spells. Like, I don't have to be afraid of uh, Bone Crusher Giant Stomp or Lightning Bolt or uh, Lava Dart, millions of different... Like, it can hold its own. If you're going to kill it, you got to kill it with two cards. Or you have to, you know, just happen to have Fatal Push, Path to Exile, Skyclave Apparition. But the point is, it can also be indestructible too, so it's going to dodge even more removal once I get that online. And it can draw a bunch of cards, so if it's uncontested, I'm just going to finally grind out a lot of decks that uh, are trying to win on card uh, on card advantage, which there is a lot of. And make no mistake, there's going to be more card advantage decks with <laughs> things like, uh, was it? What's the Cascade spell? 
the three mana oh, one. Uh, the Shardless Agent that they're printing? Shardless Agent, that's right. Yeah. Shardless Agent's coming out in uh, Modern Horizons 2. So there's going to be even more card advantage stuff. So I need to compete with this new C, uh, god C, Svalin. That's what it is. <laughs> that's the name right. of this god. This go. god. <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't actually look it up. I just knew Seed and Sky. So that's I didn't all know I what it was head. called, so <laughs> we got there in the end. Yeah, Svalin. And they're also the uh, Richard and Port Merfolk. I don't know how this is going to play out. I hope it's going to do well. I, it, it taxes my mana a little bit, but hopefully it taxes my opponent's mana too. So we're going to see what happens. I'm excited for some new cards because I haven't gotten anything for like seven years. <laughs> oh, that, that's <laughs> it's fair. too long. <laughs> they got to give you a little, you know? Yeah, they got to give me something. So based on all this time that you've spent playing in the modern metagame, what, what would you say makes a good modern metagame versus a bad modern metagame? Well, you know what? Uh, I've seen this metagame change from like super mid-range to super aggro uh, where it's just ships passing in the night. I've seen it warped millions of times. And hands down, the best metagame is the one that's the most diverse. This is when most people are happy with it. Or I would, I, you know, I don't know if it's the most happy. There are some people angry when it's m most diverse because there are certain people who are like, they want a best deck and they just want to get into the best deck and it's clearly the best deck. But th the tournaments are the largest when it's as diverse as possible. And that almost always requires like taking down the, some of the top decks, banning key pieces, because those are the top decks that are ho always holding other decks down. Um, so I would say that that is hands down what is the most enjoyable modern format because people now know, hey, I can play anything. And also if so many decks are possible, maybe my old deck from like six years ago can work again. Or maybe this old archetype that wasn't position for three years is now playable. I got cards for Titan Shift. I got cards for Infect. Maybe maybe they work and everyone starts coming out and everybody has fun. Sure. Makes sense to me. Do you think that this is the most diverse the format has ever been? Or do you think that there's a period in time in the past where it was the most diverse? This is pretty diverse. You could say that this is a pretty diverse format. There's a lot of variety. It might start changing as Is It Blitz just continues to dominate. Uh, and mm -hmm. it was a huge, large percentage of the last few tournaments. And, you know, you give a, a deck enough time, they realize they, one can just carry it, uh, carry away with the format. But uh, if it wasn't this, it might be some period after Splinter Twin and, and uh, Eye of Ugin got banned. There mm -hmm. was a period of time where, like, it's a, all hell broke loose. There was tons of decks all over the place. You can prepare for anything, but it's pretty <laughs> close between those two. Oh, interesting. Uh, speaking of Splinter Twin, uh, I've read a lot online about what life was like before Splinter Twin and what life was like after Splinter Twin, and a lot about how mm -hmm. uh, Twin sort of policed the format. Uh, could you maybe explain that to somebody who only ever sort of watches modern games to give out game losses? Yes. So uh, Splinter Twin was notoriously really good as a control deck, but just happened to also combo, combo off against you as well. And if you're not familiar with the combo, uh, you either use Pestermite or Deceiver Exarch, which is a flash creature. It enters the battlefield. You can tap something your opponent controls, or you can untap something you control. The idea is that you then enchant this creature with Splinter Twin, an RR2 generic enchantment where enchanted creature, you can tap to create a copy of that creature. So you uh, you make a copy uh, of, say, Deceiver Exarch, enters the battlefield, you untap the Deceiver Exarch that you just tapped uh, to make the copy, then you tap it again, make a new copy, untap the old copy, and then you just go infinite. It has haste, the, and you kill your opponent instantly. 
it was really good against any decks were that were trying to just goldfish for a victory i mean if you're trying to do something silly and just goldfish for a win it will have the interaction between lightning bolt slowing the game down like reimance slowing down your mana because it could tap your mana at instant speed um it also if you were trying to win with a big creature it could tap it down pre-combat so it slowed those games significantly down and also it slowed the pace of all the games down because once there's a deceiver exarch or pestermite on the the battlefield you don't want to tap your mana too much or you didn't you always want to keep up two mana because you never know if your opponent will play deceiver exarch at end of turn tap down your lance and then easily play splinter twin on their turn it was a terrible feel bad moment so the moment your opponent had three lands in play you just put the brakes on because you didn't want to give the splinter twin player like free reign to combo off against you so it really pushed the format to play a lot slower um while it was legal and if you tried to goldfish with some random super fast aggro deck you would just get blown up i mean it would just chew it would chew you up significantly but there's like there's maybe a debate whether that was good or bad so people liked i would say early on in modern it was dominated by people who loved slower mid-range games and maybe there was more interaction to it and that after the banning of twin we realized there was a whole audience a whole um uh portion of the modern ecosystem that wanted to play these decks like infect bogles death shadow zoo these super fast you know uh, almost gold you know decks that just goldfish ignore your opponent type style types of decks uh and then that sort of and then it upset the mid-range players the people who wanted the slower grindier games but it made happy everyone who wanted that diversity. So it's, you know, it's maybe a debate whether which one, you know, which one is better is just a matter of taste. But I could say after seeing what happened in the past and what we see today or what we saw afterwards that uh, tournaments are larger if there's more decks that are available. I think the FNMs are bigger when there are more decks that are available and also because there aren't there isn't this key tier one deck in basically policing a giant chunk of the ecosystem a lot of you know brews are more of more are more possible they're more playable and it will you know unlocks a lot more creativity so i it's you know it, it's a debate whether it's better or that. worse because I feel like I want to challenge you on that because I don't actually think that Splinter Twin took up that much of the format when it was like pre-ban. But as soon as Mo uh, Splinter Twin was banned, um, they had a Pro Tour right after that. It was about mm -hmm. a month after it was Pro Tour Oath of the Gatewatch and six of the top eight decks were Eldrazi and the other two were Affinity. So for me, I mean, looking sort of inwards because I'm not a modern player, but I don't see a lot of diversity in the format once Twin was banned, right? Well, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly, didn't they sort of, in response to those Eldrazi decks, ban Eye of Ugin, or am I misremembering that? No, no, they, they did. So okay. what ended up happening is it the diversity was less crushed by Splinter Twin. It was just more crushed by the printing of uh, Oath of the Gatewatch. I think that was the one with all the Eldrazi mm -hmm. in it. Because, yeah. you know, up until that point, there weren't any, like, cheap Eldrazi. There weren't, like, like Matter Reshaper or Thought Not Seer Reality Smasher Eldrazi yeah, Mimic. Eldrazi were like 10 mana, you they know? They were like Emrakul, Kozilek. 
Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, you know, we had a card called Ivugan in the format, which was, like, just absolutely ridiculous. It basically let you play all these Eldrazi for almost nothing. Turn two Thought Not Seers easily. No problem. And so, like, uh, people sometimes question, could, have, could Splinter Twin have held down the format? Could it have policed the format? And the videos sort of prove, well, no, the Eldrazi deck would have smashed that thing. Mm. You know, turn two Thought <laughs> Not Seer and attack your mm. opponent for like some obscene amount of damage was uh, more than enough to uh, to defeat Splinter Twin. So, uh, and it wasn't the first time Splinter Twin was sort of sucked out of the format either. There was, uh, during the Treasure Cruise era, there were also problems where Delver was the best deck to utilize Treasure Cruise. So Splinter Twin sort of fell out of the limelight at that time until they banned it. Just so happens that Wizards, they like to print powerful cards once in a while. And then when that happens, sure, the most powerful decks will still rise to the top. So it was Blue Red Delver at one point. And then in this case, it was uh, the, the Eldrazi decks. But like what I want to say is after the, um, after like I said, after the banning of Eye of Ugin, because that's, that's <laughs> the most key part, then the format got really diverse. And, and in some people's eyes, absolutely chaotic because you could not prepare for anything. People mm. are asking for like 20, 25 card sideboards because we can't do, you can't predict what the yeah. hell you're going to run into. It's a, it was the real wild west of uh, modern at that point. And I think it was maybe uh, like seven or eight months after that, they actually unbanned Golgari Grave Troll for a super brief amount of time. So then yep. Dredge became a deck again for a little mm -hmm. bit. I'm curious if you think, I mean, because like that deck is fairly non-interactive with the opponent, right? Do yes. you think it's important to have very interactive magic in modern or do you have any opinions about that either way? I think it's very important that the non-interactive deck, or I'll, I'll say this much. I think we can have one stupid uninteractive deck in modern. So for a very long time, that was Affinity. And then when Dredge got too popular, then there was two, two stupid interactive decks. We have a stupid artifact uninteractive deck and then a graveyard one. And then that became a real strain on people's sideboards because you, if you go for one or the other, you, you'll often like miss or you have to get lucky with the matchups. So if there are too many, that turns the format pretty poor. But if there is one, we can prepare for it relatively well. So at the time, they gave the axe to Dredge. And then in the long run, they gave the axe to the artifact decks because eventually they did ban Mox Opal. And now it's Dredge that is the stupid, uh, uh, super aggressive, non-interactive deck that we have in modern. Right. And so when we talk about those different archetypes and the way they work together, We've talked about how modern has only become more powerful over the last several years. In your opinion, I mean, Splinter Twin got banned uh, January 2016, if I'm reading this right. So that's yep, been over right. five years now. In mm -hmm. your opinion, do you think a presence like that, a, a, a deck that has that sort of inevitability at a lower level than some of the other inevitable wins that we see in the format right now, do you think that that's a, something that you should consider seeing in the future? Or do you think Twin should stay on the ban list because it doesn't provide a good influence on the metagame well i want to say like twin was pretty powerful back then like it was between 10 to 14 percent of the winning metagame and i think at the time people thought that that was fine but now like we saw uro have those sort of numbers and now people clearly realize well do you know what we're sort of tired of playing against uro two to three times like uh, two to three times a league and that's how it used to be with splinter twin as well maybe not two to three times but like one to two times i'll run into splinter twin pretty often in modern um 
So if we did achieve what Twin wanted to achieve, it would probably be ban-worthy in the eyes of the modern community today. Back then, it was like pretty acceptable <laughs> to have like a top deck policing the format. I think the way modern has played out now up to this point, people would not accept you know playing against Twin over and over again. Not to mention, it's just an awful deck to play against. Like I think at a more casual level it's very interactive it's very interesting but at a high level it's actually just awful because the moment they play the deceiver exarch or pestermite against you they choke you on two mana for the rest of the game it's like they double stone drained you and they don't need to go for the combo they'll just keep playing their land they'll just keep making land drops and still siphon you on tempo and then just slowly beat you down one damage two damage at a time if they have to so it's it's awful to play against uh at a the highest competitive level uh, even though it's still skill uh, skill intensive, so I don't know. It, I think it seems like a lose lose scenario. I think the 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 power of modern could suck suck it up. Like I don't know if twin would be as special as it was in the past. Right. But at the same time, if it did achieve what it wanted to achieve, I don't think anyone would be happy about it. Interesting. Hmm. And so I think like I mean it's been like five years, right? Almost six years. Mm -hmm. I think that they could try the way they did with Grave Troll and sort of see what happens. Like, we have new removal in Modern, like Fatal Push and things like that now. Oh, we have an so, even better one out of uh, the Modern Horizons 2. It's the uh, the Pitch Path to Exile. Or yeah. so not, uh, sorry, Swords so, to Plowshares. In some ways, I think, yeah, the format might be able to absorb Splinter Twin, and maybe it wouldn't be, like, as overpowering as it was back then, but... yeah. Well, I would like to see it happen. <laughs> fair, fair enough. I, I guess what, the thing I want to like try and suss out here is it sounds like there are certain methodologies of archetype of deck that do well and certain ones that don't. And I think you sort of hit on it in your last uh, statement there is that it depends on how the deck feels to play against. Because obviously there's mm -hmm. some fairly monodirectional combos that are still in the format. I imagine... Uh, I can't imagine they've gotten rid of the uh, Vizier Kitchen Finks combos entirely or anything like that, have they? Oh, well, not exactly. I mean, the, there is the Vizier. It doesn't use Kitchen Finks. It just creates infinite mana, and then you play a Walking oh. Ballista. Okay. I mean, it's that's still around, but yeah, like, if you... But actually, that got superseded by a much better two-card combo. It's now the Spike Feeder Heliod Sun combo right, or the Heliod uh, yeah. Walking Ballista combo. Because that was a combo, but then people are like, well, that's just a way worse combo than this two-card combo, uh, which is one of the best decks to beat at the moment. So they, people just gravitate to this two-card combo instead. Right. And it doesn't have that same uh, aura of uh, oppression that Splinter Twin had, like you were saying with the Deceiver Exarch sort of hard sticking you for two mana constantly, right? Well, we don't see it yet because okay. the problem is we can't play in paper at the moment. And it is assumed that this deck would be way better in paper because you would actually get infinite life. Because on Magic the Gathering Online, you actually have a only kid get a fi finite amount of life. I think people can only gain about one life per second that they have. But even if you gain 200 life, a lot of decks can still beat you from there. So, and you can still get clocked. So the problem with this deck is that a lot of games you would win, you don't win. So uh, it might have the type of oppression that this thing wants, but it can't unlock its true potential on Magic the Gathering on online. So we got to wait for Paper Magic to see what happens. That makes that makes a lot of sense. So 
<laughs> the reason I'm, I'm talking so much about archetypes is one of the things that we see a lot in Commander is this idea that there are certain things that just should never be done in Commander. Uh, things like mass mm-hmm. land destruction, uh, hard hard stacks <laughs> locks, uh, you know, things that go against the social contract. Basically, if, if you wouldn't want to sit through it, you shouldn't do it to somebody else, which I don't think is that mm-hmm. big of a, a negative. But there's also folks out there who dial that sort of thing up. They don't just stop at those sorts of things. They say things like, uh, you know, big mana blue spells are unfair, and they're, they're allowed their opinions. But I think one of the things that is useful from talking about the things we've talked about today is trying to suss out the things that you find fun to play against that might actually be interactive with your deck versus the things that aren't fun for anybody, like being stuck on two mana because of Deceiver Exarch. And mm-hmm. so, in your opinion, do you think that there's a certain type of balance between competitive style things and this was a fun game of magic if that makes sense like when you look to go play at a tournament when you look to go you know over your notes are you the type of person who's only really interested in what were my results or do you also care to a certain extent about how much fun did i have while i was playing my games uh i would be i'd be in the camp where i i'm trying to be pretty competitive Mm -hmm. i'm putting fun a lot less to the side but what's very important is that uh the community needs to have fun because if the community doesn't have fun then a lot of people leave. The tournaments get smaller. It shrinks down. There's actually less decks in the metagame. So that becomes a bigger problem in the grand scheme of things, not to myself personally. Well, it does become to myself personally because, I mean, as a competitive player, I want to go to a big tournament. I want there to be prizes on the line. And that's just not going to happen if the people don't show up. So you got to keep the overall community happy. And that's why Mm -hmm. in cases of like Hogak coming out, you know, Hogak just swiped out the ecosystem of the modern metagame to like just basically four decks, which is like, you know, more or less unheard of when it comes to modern. Uh, and so you have to make emergency bans because if you don't, then the, the ecosystem just falls apart. Because like what ends up happening is those tier th- tier two decks can sort of stick around because there's tier three decks. But if the top deck just blows away the tier three decks and the tier two decks, then the tier one decks even have trouble against like uh, trying to compete with the tier zero deck. Then every- everyone walks away. So you do need to make the format enjoyable, uh, and that at least from my experience that that fun comes from the diversity now just talking about strictly fun it's interesting that they've banned teferi time raveler in pioneer and historic not because it's actually overpowering or anything like that but because people just don't like playing against this card wizards just straight up said you know what our data doesn't recognize this card as like oppressive or anything but everyone has complained enough on Twitter, so we're just going to like throw in the towel on this card. So this is the first card that has been admittedly banned because it is not enjoyable to play against. People don't like playing the format because it includes the card. So uh, it set the precedent that maybe this is, this is just how some bannings are just going to have to work in the future. That makes sense to me. And I, I think that applies a lot to like, especially the home play uh, of uh, commander groups, because what you're describing sounds a lot like, hey, what are the reasons why we wouldn't want to play against a stack stack? Why are, what are the reasons mm-hmm. why I wouldn't want to play against this, you know, uh, sort of uh, cute, uninteractive combo deck? And what it comes back to is two factors. Is anybody going to have fun playing against it? And does it allow for the type of diversity at the table that you mm-hmm. might expect? Because once you start losing either or, you're going to have worse and worse games, it sounds like. Is that a fair way to characterize what you're saying? 
Yeah, like, okay, if no one wants to play against your stacks deck, like, what's the point of the stacks deck if no one shows up to your commander knight? Like, it's pointless. So, I mean, it sort of polices itself in that way. Uh, and this, this, uh, you, there's a lot of parallels to that in modern, of course. So I know uh, a while back we found a clip of you saying that you'd be interested in a rematch sometime since you uh, sort of beat us uh, last time we saw you back in season one of our gameplay series. Uh, so can we hold you to that? Are you, are you sure you're up for a oh, yeah, rematch? Oh yeah, yeah, bring it on. I've, okay. I have a better deck now too and everything. Oh, really? Yeah. really? Yeah. Well, because I, I was trying, when I was building my commander deck, I'm like, okay, let's, let's look up this... Uh, uh, this deck you guys built for me and I'm like what is with all these cards I was playing with this stuff and I was just lucky to top deck into old like the traditional merfolk cards I had like Meridri and a lord and silver gill adept and everything so anyway I got my own Thassa god of the sea deck packing and ready well, excellent I, 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 I can't I, wait <laughs> I'm looking for that for sure you're absolutely right Maddie uh, and so I think one of the things that I've taken away from this conversation is that wizards at, by and large from what you've told me, is looking to try and really make that diversity thing. And it's not trying mm -hmm. to say that this style is bad or that style is bad, and it's much more about the actual execution of the play style than necessarily yep. the strict efficiency. Because like we talked about, Teferi Time Raveler, while a decent card isn't overwhelmingly powerful, it's just miserable. And that's why yeah, I got yeah. the ban hammer. And I think that's a lesson that a lot of people can take away and, you know, maybe be able to think about when they're having discussions about how they're setting up their commander pods. And so I just want to say thank you so much for sitting down and talking with us today. I know uh, Maddie was really excited to get this all put together for us. So I just want to say thanks to the both of you for spending the time with me today. You're welcome. It was, yeah, it was, it was a great pleasure. To, great to be here and see you guys. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Nikachu, before we go, do you want to tell us a little bit about where folks can find you on the Internet? Oh, you can find me anywhere on Nikachu MTG, on YouTube, on Twitch, on Twitter. I think I have an Instagram that I post there like once every six months. That's how you can find me. We just want to say thanks so much to John for coming on and spending some time with us. Thanks again to all the folks over at Nikachu's channel there on YouTube. Make sure to go and check him out. In the meantime, Maddie and I wanted to sit down and break down a little bit about what we talked about specifically as it might apply to your home commander games. I think we found out a lot of good stuff today, didn't we, Maddie? Yeah, I think we did. Um, a lot of it, really, we talked about modern, but I think we can take a lot of it back to commander as it makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. a lot of similarities. Absolutely. And I think especially when it comes to how uh, we talked about the different ways the meta can exist and how it got more healthy or less healthy depending on the actions that the, you know, the uh, Wizards of the Coast rules team took sort of impacted how the meta fell out. And obviously, that really isn't necessarily the uh, rules committee's job in Commander. That's more stuff for your individual playgroups. And so I think one of the big lessons that I took away from this today was the idea that diversity of deck choices is good up to the point where you're not able to answer for every deck that exists. And I think that's an important point to talk about. Absolutely, yeah. I'm actually surprised we talked about diversity as much as we did, but I think, yeah, John made some really good points that the more diverse the format is, the happier people seem to be. So, yeah, there's obviously like a balance to that, right? Mm -hmm. But Yeah, because specifically his point about folks asking for 20 and 25 card sideboards at certain points in the history, I think really speaks to something that I see a lot in Commander, which is folks don't really want to run answers. They want to run pet cards. They want to do things that are on plan. And sometimes that can be really tough, especially if you're trying to use very aggressive or very efficient strategies, because it means that folks have to you know, consider stuff like that. And so as a group, you need to try and find the right level for that. Because if you're trying to deal with 
every threat that could ever exist under the sun, maybe the theme of your deck suffers quite a bit. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, one of the things that John touched on was that he hopes to sort of see like one main non-interactive deck in modern. And the more of those that you start to see, the harder it is to sideboard against those kinds of decks in the format, right? Yeah. And so Commander's a little bit different because we don't have sideboards and everybody kind of builds their deck a little bit differently. And it's actually really difficult to, you know, plan for those things that people are playing sometimes. So, I mean, you can allocate a certain amount of your deck to interacting with people's cards, but it doesn't always suit actually what you're trying to do, right? Well, and not only that, but especially in places like CEDH these days where there's so many different ways for folks to sort of get done in two or three turns and they come in a variety of ways, it becomes difficult to avoid playing colors like blue, for example, because counter spells tend to deal with almost everything, right? Absolutely, right? And you have some weaker colors like white. How does white interact with some of these things sometimes, right? Pretty it's much very just, difficult. <laughs> yeah, pretty much just hate bears and stacks, right? And that, and that causes yeah. its own problems because that's a different style that might not be appreciated. And so right. when we look at having metacrafting conversations focused around how we're going to be putting our teams together, what really what you said there exactly stood out to me was the idea behind that you can't really have more than one big major uninteractive strategy before it gets on fun. Because in my mind, what you then have to do is instead of having to police one deck that's going to be unfair, now you have to police multiple types of decks that are going to be unfair. Absolutely, right? Um, I agree with that completely. <laughs> so. Yeah. And, and so I think one way to sort of approach that as a conversation piece is you might even say to, you know, a friend, hey, it, it's totally fine if you want to use, you know, your uh, wheel lock combo. We'll all play, you know, decks that are set up and ready to go against that. But for the second game of that, could we please play something else, something a little bit more linear, something that is more based on creatures or, you know, effects that don't necessarily have these esoteric interactions with winning the game? Yeah, I think it's easier to do that kind of stuff, too, when you have a regular play group, right? When you go to somebody's house and you're all playing your decks together and then you can be like, hey, do you mind not playing your stacks deck because I don't actually like to play against it? Yeah. It's a little bit more difficult to handle that stuff when you go to a commander night at your LGS, right? Because oh, you can't really police the kinds of decks that other people are going to play. So, yeah, I think it's a little bit more difficult then. Absolutely. What I, I do think... you think? think that player i mean i know that this is something you guys talked a bit about in your previous spike on the mic but how do you think that a player can handle that when you're maybe not building your deck to handle those kinds of interactions but you also have to handle that at the public level sure i, I think especially at, at uh, lgs is that's actually the most difficult place to play commander successfully i should say you can definitely find a game there but i would hazard to guess that you're probably going to find some of your best games there, but also some of your wildly worst games in an environment like that. And so it's sort of incumbent on the person walking into that sort of play space to be able to adjust. I mean, maybe you don't have multiple decks, but you could at least have multiple expectations of what your deck can do, right? And so from my perspective, I think that's a very important thing to bring up in a rule zero conversation, even in a blind environment like that. Say, hey folks, uh, the deck I brought today isn't terribly interactive. It doesn't have a lot of ability to counter or counterplay different items and options that exist in the format. I was hoping we could keep things, you know, at a bit of a slower pace, aim for a nine to 10 turn game. And that's the sort of thing I would say if I was in that position, because Ultimately, if what I'm doing gets blown out by something like a Wrath of God and has no way to recover, that's not probably something I should bring up ahead of time so my opponents can understand what's going to keep me in this game. Now, 
Unfortunately, like you said, at an LGS environment, in a blind environment like that, you can't always count on the people that you're playing with to be appreciative of that. But that being said, I find that generally speaking, if you voice an opinion or you voice a desire, the vast majority of players are willing to adjust what they're doing to help you, at least in some way. Um, Another one of the things that John kind of touched on or that we talked about a lot in our conversation was the idea of competitive games versus fun games. Mm -hmm. And do you think that that's something that always needs to be seen as opposites? Or do you think that we can find a balance in that way so that those games of Commander at the LGS are more fun? I really do think that the dichotomy isn't so much fun versus competitive. I think the mindset is different fun versus competitive. I honestly don't think even in quote-unquote CEDH, folks play competitively all that often. I don't think they go for the out-for-blood kills that frequently. Certainly those pods exist, and I've, I've definitely played in them before. But by and large, even around the Spike Feeders World Headquarters, I mean, you, you're aware of this, we don't exactly, <laughs> you know, angle shoot and call out every single, you know, trigger that's ever existed. And I think that's yeah, sort of that's the true. hallmark of what competitive means. I definitely think you can also be competitive while still being fun. Because just because I'm not making any compromises when it comes to the game state doesn't mean I need to be a miserable <clears throat> about anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and so it's it's totally possible to supplement the way you're playing the game with the way you act at the table as well. And so mm-hmm. I think I think he's absolutely right in that there is definitely a mindset breakdown there but I also don't think it helps all the time to see things that we don't personally see as fun as being competitive frequently the things that people are decrying aren't necessarily competition but strategies they personally don't find fun combinations or ways of playing the game that they personally don't find fun and that doesn't instantaneously make them competitive if they happen to be efficient as well it just Mm -hmm. means that I personally don't like things like stacks like easy combo, like card draw. And so I I think it's important when we look at that dichotomy to more fully appreciate the difference between something that is competitive, which is usually game actions, versus cards that are competitive, which usually means this is efficient or this is inefficient. Those those things can still be fun, and they don't have to always be used competitively. Sort of like Mm -hmm. how if you have like a, a Chulane deck, for example, that isn't very well optimized. It's not going to run anywhere near as well as a different deck. And so one of the other things that we talked about quite a bit was the idea of the influence of the ban list and how that can influence just the play environment. And I think it's really unique in that, uh, especially for private play groups of Commander, we we have that power, right? We can say things Absolutely. like, I don't want to play against Par- uh, Paradox Engine, even before it got banned. We can say, I do want to play with Paradox Engine, therefore it is unbanned. And I I think that's one of the things I really love about Rule Zero and Commander generally is that it's my format. I get to make the meta calls. We collectively get to decide on how this game's going to play out. And I think that's a power that folks feel like sometimes they don't have. And realistically, while it won't work every time, I haven't run into too many strangers in my past that if I ask them a simple, straightforward question like, do you mind if I play X or do you mind if we don't play X? that I've gotten that much pushback. Could it happen? I'm sure it does, and I'm sure it will. But I feel like if everybody goes into a game expecting to be asked questions and be able to ask their own questions like that, everybody will have a little bit better time. 
I absolutely agree with you. I think that's definitely one of the strengths Commander has is the ability to sort of um, diversify itself at the player level as opposed to, well, we need to look at the ban list and we absolutely have to follow the ban list. Because you don't, right? If you're not having fun, you're allowed definitely allowed to make the changes that you want to with your play group so that you have more fun and you guys can keep playing your games, right? Nobody wants to leave the end of a commander night just being tilted, like, I never want to play with these people again. I want to take this deck and throw it in the garbage, right? And that stuff happens in other formats. Yeah. But yeah, it definitely doesn't need to be that way, right? You're right. A lot of people don't understand they can make that decision. Yeah. And I I think empowering each other to make those decisions as well, because I I really do think that you have a responsibility if you're the type of person like me who has an easier time just talking to whomever shows up of opening that space up, not just for myself, but for the people around me. I, I have to take the reins a little bit and say, Hey, Madison, is there anything that you'd like to add on that point? Or, you know, hey, Jerry, are you sure you need to play that many corn cobs in your deck? You know, just stuff like that, <laughs> just for everyone's enjoyment. Uh, right. And so if you're that type of person, if you see yourself being looked to that way, that comes with a little bit of responsibility, in my opinion, just like there's a lot of responsibility that rides on Watsy's shoulders for things like the ban list and modern. And so take that seriously. If people look to you for how to set the tone for a game, Take that responsibility seriously and don't abuse your friend's trust. Make it so all of you are having a good time, not just you. Yeah, I agree with that. All righty. Well, I think that's all we wanted to talk about today, but I want to say thank you so much for all watching this video. We had a lot of fun talking to Nikachu. Please go check out his channel and keep your eyes tuned here. I think we're going to try and get that rematch game in sometime yet this summer if our vaccines can catch up. In any case, I just want to say thanks again to Maddie. We hope to see you back here again soon, everybody. Thanks, Alex. See ya. Hey, thank you for checking out the Spike Feeders on YouTube. If you're not subscribed yet, make sure you hit that subscribe button before you close the window, or you can click on this link to check out our other great videos.